that sounded a little ominous, but uh, hey, thank you so much for joining me here today on yet another episode of Gary Talks 2. I am, of course, Gary, and I'm the one doing the talking. If you would like to do an interview and join me in this talking thing, or if you prefer to uh, just opine by email, just uh, stay tuned, and I'll tell you how to do those very things uh, later on in this podcast. So let's jump right in. In previous episodes, we've talked about those infamous black codes that were passed solely to control African populations from the very start of the colonies, from the very early days, and how those codes then morphed into vague vagrancy laws after the Civil War and then into the system we know today as Jim Crow. Again, the sole purpose was to control black people's lives, either through terror, abuse, threats, or the denial of rights and simple dignity. I want to continue that cheerful theme in this episode by highlighting the activities of the slave hunters, or the slavers as I refer to them in both volumes so far of the Journey series. One of the first fugitive slave acts was passed in 1793, one of the first formal ones, and stated plainly that any white person could accuse any black person of being a runaway, and the burden of proof was on the black man, woman, or child to prove that they were not. No one in their family could testify for them. No blacks could testify about another status or pretty much anything else for that matter. Pennsylvania however, responded by making it a crime to kidnap any purpose, any person, that is, for the purpose of, quote, lowering them into slavery, end quote. This didn't stop the scourge in any meaningful way, though. <clears throat> a poor white man could simply arrest a black person and spirit them across the border and sell them for a lot more than they could make doing any honest kind of work. So the attraction, as you can imagine, was pretty strong back then. Morality aside, of course. One, uh, at least one unfortunate slaver, however, found himself doing very hard time in a Pennsylvania debtor's prison for trying to do just that. But many, many more got away with it. Kidnapping rings operated in many urban areas to grab unsuspecting people and sell them south. One particularly heinous ring in Philadelphia specialized in kids 8 to 15, just children 8 to 15 years old. In a two-year period, 100 kids were stolen away from their families in this ring and sold south. Then, in 1842, the ironically named uh, Supreme Court ruled in Prigg versus Pennsylvania that states had no right to pass any fugitive slave laws of their own and put that responsibility squarely on the federal government. This is in response to Pennsylvania not allowing the kidnapping and forcible enslavement of its citizens. The South was okay with uh, this arrangement then of the federal government intervening, but uh, boy, they sure didn't like it much when the 14th and 15th Amendments came along, did they? 
Slave catchers uh, or citizen patrols, as they were often called and officially recognized as, operated throughout the South for many years before the Civil War. They were there to intimidate and terrorize blacks, that's all. Any level of force, even murder, was perfectly legal, as was severe beatings and rape. As a matter of fact, a, uh, a slave catcher could actually get a bonus for beating anybody they caught. Outside of society, that indeed they had no place on earth outside of bring, being free labor for their oppressors. These slave hunters and citizens' patrols were often far more cruel to any unfortunate blacks they came across than most masters were on the plantations. Owners, after all, wanted to keep their property healthy, you know. So. Service was mandatory on these patrols, by the way. This wasn't uh, wasn't something that uh, happened while they were highly regulated, highly uh, organized, and service on them was mandatory. And regardless of station, the, the planter uh, worked with the, uh, rode with the overseer and the shopkeeper uh, to work these patrols to demoralize the population. And that really does demonstrate the level of fear the minority white population had of their fellow citizens. And the Ku Klux Klan is a direct, direct outgrowth of these patrols. Okay, I am back. There were uh, many reasons why the North turned away from slavery, aside, of course, from the very basic uh, immorality of America's peculiar institution, as it was called, for some reason. One was a concern for racial purity, believe it or not. The forced rape of black women was seen as a particularly shameful act in those quarters. It was out of a concern for flooding the population with mixed-race children. It wasn't uh, for any other altruistic motive. So take that for what it's worth. Another that's not mentioned very often was the introduction in the South of the Cuban bloodhound. This particularly vicious dog was brutalized by its owners and handlers and trained to tear any black person to shreds on sight something that happened quite often to runaways. The dog's reputation was so bad due to its experiences in Europe and elsewhere that Southern papers denied they were being imported at all. They just lied about it. These dogs were being protested in Northern papers, however, as early as 1790. The outrage that Northerners felt at the coverage of the atrocities committed by these dogs and their handlers galvanized many to action. A man named Zachary Taylor, I'm sure you've heard of him, yes, that Zachary Taylor, was among the first to import Cuban, uh, what were called Negro dogs, 
for his plantation in Louisiana. And this is a rather harsh uh, a witness's statement from 1854 in Washington, D.C. Quote, a large hound was seen pulling a struggling and resisting slaver down Pennsylvania Avenue. The dog broke free and leaped over some boards in a lumberyard and then could be heard the most hideous and heart-rending cries of a child. End quote. So, in the shadow of the flag of freedom and liberty, a young child was viciously killed by one of these dogs. I want to uh, do a reading from the Journey series uh, during these podcasts, and I want to do one now that concerns these dogs. It's in volume two, actually. I'm jumping way ahead. And uh, I'll set up the scene here a little bit. James, our hero, has been forced to flee from slave hunters who are coming to get him after a very violent episode on his family farm. So I've said there's a lot of violence in this book, but none of it is gratuitous. It's, it's a direct answer to the actions of an oppressor. So he's joining another group. He set out alone, and he joins a group along the way. So this is from this. Uh, also, I have to preface it by saying there's a lot of words in here that I've never spoken before out loud. So if I hesitate a little, I'm sorry. Or it's, don't want to insult anybody either. Okay, here we go from Journey, Volume 2. James had joined another group on his second night out, and together they had set out heading north, the other passengers in his group full of questions for James. If he was freeborn, why did he have to run? If he was a landowner, didn't he have rights? The answer to all the questions he was peppered with was, as always, the same. Simple racist hatred. He had to run because he had stood up for those same rights he had fought so bravely to defend. He owned a farm, but he still had no guarantee to be allowed to vote. Why? James was deemed a threat, as was any other black person, man or woman, who dared to speak out about the oppression they were forced to endure in this land of the free. Their second night out, it became obvious they were being tracked. This time, the slavers had dogs with them. Bloodhounds had been used extensively in the South to hunt down people fleeing to freedom, but their use in the North was rare. It was far easier to travel without having a team of dogs along to slow you down. This time, the slave hunters meant to shut down this particular route to freedom once and for all, and they brought every tool they would need to prosecute their evil intent. The baying of the hounds had awoken them the third morning when they were under cover. They slept by day and only traveled at night, but the slavers worked around the clock, it seemed. Sure enough, in about a half hour, several riders and men on foot could be seen coming up the slope towards them. The baying of the hounds, a ghostly, frightening, echoing noise that sounded to James like slavery itself. The others started to panic, but James took charge and calmed them down somewhat. He pointed out the flaw in the slavers' approach. They were coming uphill, and they had no element of surprise, whereas they did. The only weapons they had were James's rifle and pistol, but there were others there in the forest with them. 
that they could put to good use. The riders would have to negotiate a narrow draw to get to them, but that didn't seem to slow them down any. James quickly dispatched three of the strongest men in the group to the rocky sides of the draw and had another older man follow him down the slope to wait. Two riders appeared at the mouth of the draw ahead of any dogs and stopped to survey the scene. They started to ride on when several of the dogs ran out ahead and started to make a beeline for James and the other man, howling the news of prey ahead. James and his companion broke cover and the riders turned towards them. James stood his ground until the riders were very close, then brought his pistol to bear and shot the leading rider out of his saddle. The other rider pulled up short turn and started to flee. James took his rifle from his companion, took careful aim, and shot the other man. The two went, then went to the fallen riders and took any weapons they had since they wouldn't be needing them anymore. Several of the other slavers had stopped in the middle of the draw when they heard the gunfire, just as James had hoped. The young men he had dispatched to the rocky sides of the draw started to rain large rocks down on them, knocking riders off horses and flattening men on foot forcing the retreat of the few survivors. The fugitives had gathered after that and started up the hill to put some distance between them and their pursuers. They now had three rifles, a couple of pistols, and two very large knives. James felt that the slavers were probably done for today, but also knew they would be back with a vengeance as soon as possible. Oh boy, it's time for the political rant, my very favorite part. Today's target, uh, speaking about uh, people who want to bring back the good old days of white supremacy, is that tanned autocrat in waiting, that hard-charging civil rights killer, that fearless mouse hater, his very own self, Rhonda Santos. Coolest drag name ever. No, really, think about it. But, but what, wait, wait, I'm sorry, what? Oh, this is just in from the news desk, which is, you know, actually really the same desk I'm using, but hey, sounds good. Anyway, apparently that other scene-stealing, well-tube tanned orange autocrat in waiting, you know him. People are talking about him. Everyone is saying, we know I'm here at the podcast, this dirty little Donnie has been indicted by a panel of jurors in Florida. In Florida, for crying out loud. Apparently for being a total dick. Oh, wait, wait a minute, what? No, it was for what? Stealing classified documents and then what? And then hiding those documents? And there's more, oh, pretending he didn't have those documents. The campaign, oh, saying if he did have them, they were his. No, that can't be anymore. Come on. And being a total dick. I knew they'd get that in there somewhere. Of course, the uh, orange maroon will make a fortune from the easily duped amongst us, just like after he was indicted the first time just like when he was impeached not only once but twice, just like when he was found liable for sexual assault. Yeah, 
there are plenty of rubes out there too stupid to know which way is up and they are easy picking slimy slug like him and i'm sure there will be good news on this front soon i am doing this taping uh at about 20 minutes to two before he's going to show up so hopefully something terrible will happen and uh i'll have more news to cover next episode anyway back to Rhonda. no not Rhonda fleming Rhonda santas Rhonda santas now, just imagine it, if you will. Huge, flaming red wig and tight, sparkly white dress with sequins to go with his favorite boots, remember? Lots of bling around the neck and a pound of makeup, and you have Rhonda Santis, queen of the drag queens. Now, come on, you got to admit that would be about the coolest stage name for a performer anywhere. So when he's not banning books or your right to vote, threatening critics with jail or exporting immigrants, he has another whole career to fall back on. He is so, so lucky. Well, once again, I have to say thank you so much for joining me uh, here on the podcast. I'm still pretty new at this, as you can tell. Still a little rusty on the uh, on the software. I got a lot of experience talking on the radio, but they were in airplanes. So it's a little different kind of uh, discipline. Uh, don't forget, if you want to do an interview, uh, just drop me a note at the website, which is the podcast at gvb rights the podcast at gvb rights or check out the website for the books and reviews and the mentoring activity i do at gvbrights.com it's www.gvbrights.com if you do send me an email, I'll read the whole thing on the air unless it's full of conspiracy theories and propaganda. Or if you ask me not to, I'll just uh, name you as an unidentified intelligent listener. And that's what we can do. So we can handle it either way. But uh, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to know what you think about uh, the subject matter here. Um, and. Uh, Anything else? You got any cool recipes you want to share? I've always got a million of those. I love to cook. So, And I hope you like the sly guitar. So, a mille merci's. Mille merci's. A thousand thanks for stopping by. And I will talk to you again soon. <laughs>